Welcome to the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray, a locally produced program devoted to bringing you a fresh perspective on housing, diving into the issues that matter most. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray is presented by Mortgage Investors Group. Now, Kevin Ray. Welcome into the Housing Hour. This is Kevin Ray, and I am your host. And I'm here with Mark Griffith, our executive producer and co-host. And, uh, wow, we're just thankful for every person that listens to the show to come in and begin their weekend with us. Um, we're so excited about having you here with us. And a couple of ways that you guys can plug in to us and with us is facebook.com slash thehousinghour. Um, that is how you get to us on Facebook. And then also, of course, we're on Twitter, and that is at thehousinghour. Um, and you can find us all throughout the web. But the real treasure trove is, of course, thehousinghour.com, where you can find all of our past shows. You can listen to our current show. You can share our shows and our blog with friends and family and colleagues because we have a lot of professionals listening to us as well. So today we are going to tackle again. Um, the The series is dubbed Healthcare USA, and that is what we have dubbed it. And we have had, um, of course, a, a really good guest in, uh, was it Ben? No, Nick Tate. Nick Tate. Nick Tate, um, who wrote the book on uh, how to kind of navigate through Obamacare. Yeah, as it's Ob- been Obamacare, called. the survival guide is what his book title was. Yeah. You know, I've found that some people don't like that they call it Obamacare. Well, it, yeah, I, I can understand that because yeah. I think it's kind of a slight. So yeah, I well, think President Obama calls it that, but regardless. Um, so today, um, what we have is, and this is really, I think, an incredible guest that can speak directly to um, not just healthcare where it is in its current form, but also be able to trace back the history of healthcare, how it's kind of over the years developed and, and how healthcare has changed um, into the landscape that we're in today. Of course, there's a lot of conversation around healthcare. Um, she wrote a book on on ten care, as a matter of fact, back I think in 2007. That's correct. Um, and she also has a book that is going to be coming out in December, right? That's and correct. what's the name of the book again, Mark? Um, Doctor Magruder, this is Kevin Ray. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Good. What is the name of your book that you have coming out in December? The book is titled A Different Perspective on the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act. Which is, which is actually what the true bill is, what the true name of it is. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, we couldn't be more happy to have you in. And the first thing we thought we might do, if you don't mind, is um, talk a little bit about the history of healthcare because I know that that's really where we've come to. Some people don't even understand anything about healthcare. A lot of our listeners, you know, they have a real basic approach to this and they know that things are changing, but sometimes they don't understand where we came from. And I think it's very important in any topic that we discuss is to understand, you know, where did we start and then help us understand the history so it gives us a better perspective on where we are today. And it just helps us to see it through a clearer lens, in my opinion. Um, and, and, you know, you've done some a lot of things in your career thus far, and I'm sure you have a long career he- ahead of you. You graduated from a, a very noteworthy school in Nigeria. You came over to the States, and you've really um, had some work with some incredible uh, places while you've been in the United States. You, you, you were research at Vanderbilt and other places. What really, I guess just from a personal standpoint, I'm just curious, you know, what makes this field that you've put your life into so interesting for you to spend so much time in it? I am very interested in the idea of uh, prevention of diseases. Mm, I actually earned a specialist degree in parasitology and entomology, and I focused on outbreaks, outbreaks research and prevention. And so inherent in the idea of outbreak research and prevention is also the ability for individuals to have access to care. And so I've um, worked a lot in the healthcare field, my graduate, I earned a graduate degree in um, healthcare administration and public administration um, with an emphasis on healthcare. Um, my PhD is on public administration with, a, uh, with an emphasis on healthcare. And so I have been fascinated with the idea of uh, provision of healthcare services 
um, for all individuals. And um, like you mentioned, America has had um, a long history with regards to health um, health insurance. This uh, the, the the history finally culminated in the passage of the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act. But prior to the passage of the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, there had been various efforts since the beginning of the 20th century um, within the United States to provide some sort of universal health insurance coverage to its citizens. Right. A lot of people are now aware of the fact that these efforts um, started as far back as in the 1900s. Um, one thing that must be noted is that prior to the turn of the 20th century, the United States government had no program to subsidize or help individuals pay for their health care costs. So I'm going to talk about, you know, the history, how that, um, you know, the re- health care reform efforts came about that eventually led to the passage of the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act. That'd and then great. if you have any subsequent questions pertaining my interest in the field or how I decided to get or write about specifically the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, I'll be more than happy okay. to And just to set this up for all of our listeners, you are currently employed um, with Austin P. State University, correct? Yes. And your position there? I'm associate professor of public management, uh, policy, and criminal justice. Okay. The reason I brought that up is because for people listening, I mean, you have obviously the credentials to speak to um, exactly what the nature of your, your talk, you know, is going to be really, and what you're going to give us. And for people that are out there listening, I, I mean, it's so important. And I would recommend, and we're going to have the links up as well for the book that you did write. And also for people to pre-order your book that you have coming out in December as well. So okay. that's just setting it up, but why don't you help us to understand a little bit about what you just mentioned a little bit about the history and where we came from as it relates to um, uh, health insurance. Okay, very good. Thank you very much. Um, So like I mentioned earlier, prior to the turn of the 20th century, there was no government program to subsidize or help individuals pay for their health care costs. So invariably, the federal government let the states decide what to do with regards to caring for their sick. And so they let them decide what to do with their indigent patients. Indigent patients are individuals that are too poor to pay for their health care services. And so during that period, there was no legislative or public programs um, for America's citizens. But there were some voluntary funds that provided for congressional members in case they got sick or they died. But not for the common person. No, but not for the common people. Ah. Okay, so if you got sick, if you had the money to pay for your health care services, fine and good. If you did not have the money, then, um, you know, there was nothing else you could do Mm. except try to get charitable institutions to help you with your health care services or bills. And so when we talk about charitable institutions, there were voluntary not-profit corporations, okay, and some of them were affiliated with the churches. Now, during uh, President Theodore Roosevelt's era, he, um, he supported the idea of health insurance, and he believed that no country would be very strong and truly strong if its people were sick and poor. And so during this period, um, uh, the American Association of Labor Legislation, they know it as all. American Association of Labor Legislation, they led the push for health insurance. Um, they were focused on reforming um, capitalism. The, part of their pamphlets, they said that they were not there to abolish uh, capitalism. They were instead interested in um, reforming capitalism. And so they formed a committee in 1912, okay, and they decided to go ahead and uh, focus on health care issues and health insurance issues. And they ended up dra- drafting a model bill in 1915. And that bill was to provide health insurance coverage to the working class citizens that earned less than 1200 a year then. And, and what so, year did you say that was, doctor? 
I said the bill was in 1915. 15, okay. 1915, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure that I heard that specific date. Okay, very good. And so the the bill was to provide health insurance coverage to working class individuals that earn less than $1,200 a year. And um, the bill will also cover their dependents and will also provide uh, payment of services of, uh, you know, doctors and nurses and hospitals, as well as cover their maternity benefits and especially important, cover their funeral expense, okay? So the bill provided for a debt benefit of $50, and that is very important to know because that was um, a very sore point of contention, you know, the debt benefit of $50. Um, um, You know, so, but there were initially a lot of opposition to the AALL legislation, the bill. Um, Initially, the American Medical Association supported the proposal but the American Federation of Labor, AFL, denounced, continually denounced the idea of a health insurance program as a sort of paternalistic reform, you know, where you have a daddy state that it will create an unwanted system of state supervision over people's health. And so they kept, you know, uh, printing out pamphlets denouncing the idea of a health insurance program. And what organization was this that denounced it, the American? Uh, What organization denounced the, uh, uh, the, the, that denounced the AAL proposal? Right. right. The American Federation of Labor. Okay. That's what I wanted to get clear on. So it was the, okay, I see. So, so clearly they were a big, big group that did not want this to come to flourishing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, one of the things that concerned them was because it was a union group. And so one of the things that concerned them was the fact that they felt that if you have this health insurance program, then unions will be weakened because unions at that point provided um, uh, social benefits. Uh-huh. And so if you have government health insurance, that will preclude the need for union social benefits, then people might say, Ulala, I don't see the need to be part of a union membership. Right. Okay. Well, well yeah. And, and also, I think that they're, they have a lot of weight when it comes to the conscience of Americans. If you are, in fact, a part of that, that you know, force, then even if you may not agree with them, it tends to, the, the conscience of the entire group tends to be overtaking, you know, the, their own personal views on things, which is unfortunate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also the commercial industry, they oppose the idea of a government health insurance program. Um, specifically, I think I mentioned the debt benefits. The commercial insurance industry, they used to get the working poor to pay for debt benefits, you know, such that they wouldn't have a pauper's funeral. Okay. So if you pay for debt benefits and you're poor, when the person uh, dies, uh, the commercial insurance industry will go ahead and cover the burial expenses for the person. Mm-hmm. So if you have government health insurance program that will provide that as well, then there will be no need to purchase commercial debt benefit. You right. see that? Absolutely. So they, yeah. yeah, so they were vehemently opposed to the idea of government-sponsored health insurance. Okay. Now we only have about a minute left in this segment. So we're going to, we're going to kind of continue in the next segment right along the same line. So I want you to keep going where you're going because what you're talking about, I think is amazing because you're talking about the birth of what we have today. It's, it's, (laughs) Over and, and the it's years, so similar to what's going on in the debate right now, yeah. and it sounds like it's just about power. Yeah, and in a lot of ways, it is. Who's going to get their money? How is that all going to translate? And for, I mean that, and, and that's why I think America is so great because you do have the ability to express your feelings. And so we're going to continue with uh, Dr. Magruder, a fascinating guest here um, with us today. We're talking about healthcare and the history of healthcare. We're excited to continue this conversation right after these messages. We will be right back.
Hi, I'm Sue Benson, owner of Title Associates. In today's real estate market, it is more important than ever to have a title company with experience, a company you can trust, and one that conducts business with you in mind. If you're buying, selling, or refinancing, our staff promises to make your closing a pleasant one. If you're a real estate agent looking for excellent customer service, give us a call, 777-1040, or visit our website at tanox.com. It's football time in Tennessee, and if you want to make your house the envy of all your football buddies, come see us at Acme Block and Brick. I'm Brantley Rivers, and with a brand new outdoor kitchen from Acme Block and Brick, your home game day will never be the same. Acme Block and Brick. Our experienced staff can help you from the design stage all the way to the completion of the project. Acme Block and Brick has a wide variety of high-quality brick and stone products, including our Belgard pavers that will match anyone's style and taste. Acme Block and Brick. Come visit us at Acme Block and Brick and let our helpful, friendly staff show you how it's done. Visit one of Acme Block and Brick's three locations in Crossville, Kingston, and Alcoa. Or you can find us online at acmeblockandbrick.com to see how we can transform your game day brick by brick. See what a little stuff can do. Acme Block and Brick. Hey, I'm Kevin Ray, the host of The Housing Hour. Please join me and my co-host, Mark Griffith, every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. as we bring you the latest news and current issues regarding the housing market. Also, check out our website, thehousinghour.com, for a treasure trove of information. So join us each week and keep up with the why and why not of mortgage lending. The Housing Hour is brought to you by Mortgage Investors Group. The Housing Hour, Saturdays from 8 to 9 a.m. on News Talk 98.7. Are you in the market to purchase a new home? Many first-time home buyers and veterans qualify for 2 or 4% down payment grants from the Tennessee Housing Development Agency. THDA offers 30-year fixed-rate mortgages insured by FHA, VA, USDA, or conventional loans. For more information, please visit our website at www.thda.org. Don't pay, don't vinyl, go Rhino Shield. Never paint your house again. Rhino Never paint your home again. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? Jeff and Roxanne here. As owners of Rhino Shield, our commitment to you is that you'll never have to paint your home again. Guaranteed. Rhino Shield goes on like paint, looks like paint, but unlike paint, Rhino Shield will last 25 years and we back it with a written warranty. And oh yeah, guys, Rhino Shield comes in your favorite color, the one your wife wants. We have been servicing the Chattanooga area for over a decade, and now it's time to bring Rhino Shield to Knoxville. So call now and get our introductory offer of 25 5% off. 865-219-3070. That's 865-219-3070. Or visit us online at rhinoshieldtn.com. That's rhinoshieldtn.com. Don't paint, don't find go Rhino Shield. Never paint your house again. Rhino Shield. Rhino Shield. It's not paint. Home ownership matters, and Mortgage Investors Group wants to help you with all your home financing needs. Whether it's a purchase or a refinance, our federally licensed loan officers are ready to help you sort through all the mortgage loan options. So call us today, 800-489-8910, or visit us online at mortgageinvestorsgroup.com. Mortgage Investors Group, your home loan solution for the past 23 years. Tennessee Mortgage License Number 109111. This is it's a work the deal weekend. Congressman Chuck Fleischman, Monday at 8.05. We'll see if they get a deal. We put the braces of truth on the crooked teeth of talk Monday at 5.30. The Halloran Hilton Hill Morning Show, News Talk 98.7 WOKI. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what is really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Every day I'm shuffling. Welcome back into the Housing Hour. Again, this is Kevin Ray, your host. I'm here with Mark Griffith, our co-host and executive producer, and we're continuing on with our discussion. Um, Dr. McGrew, you kind of spoke to the um, formation so far of healthcare from its earliest onset. So why don't you continue talking about, I think I interrupted you in your um, opening remarks, continue talking in that same kind of realm and where you were going with that, please. 
Okay. Okay. So um, with the onset of World War I in 1917, and of course, you know, um, with the onset of World War I, there was anti-German sentiment during that period. And so what happened was that the opponents of uh, government health insurance linked the idea of government health insurance to German socialist insurance. And of course, uh, you know, mm. <laughs> that, that, that was very successful. Americans did not want the idea of a German type socialist insurance. I mean, that is yeah. totally anathema to the wow. idea of American values. And so that effectively helped put an end to the initial discourse about governmental health insurance during that era. Then um, after World War II, there was, uh, there were, there was a surge in healthcare costs, um, and that led, subsequently led to um, the development of community-based not-for-profit Blue Cross Blue Shield plans. Mm. and labor union health and welfare uh, trust funds. Um, but what must be noted is that these were for individuals that could afford those plans. Okay? Right. We also saw during that period, the period after World War II, the, um, the development of private medical practitioners, um, the development of city and state government hospitals, uh, also the development of voluntary not-for-profit hospitals as well as military and veteran hospitals. And um, so during that period, um, especially leading to President Truman's presidency uh, from 1945 to 1953, um, there, there, there was the growth of uh, Blue Cross Blue Shields and the voluntary hospitals, but still indigent people did not have um, the possibility of purchasing health insurance plans. And so President Truman uh, led the push for a universal health insurance plan. And what he did, he tried to do better than the all pro, uh, push earlier. He decided to drop the funeral benefit that was crucial to the defeat of the all proposal. Remember I mentioned the funeral benefit yes. that the commercial industries did right. not want? And so he dropped that. Um, the House, but of course the House Committee Chairman uh, was an anti-union conservative, and he refused to hold hearings on that. Um, meanwhile, Republican Senator Taft suggested that the compulsory health insurance originated from the Soviet Constitution, and he stated, and I quote, I consider it socialism, okay? Right. Uh, so, and you're talking uh, about, did you say Taft? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, Senator Taft. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so he said, and I quote, I consider it socialism. Also, the American Medical Association, the American Hospital Association, the American Bar Association, and a lot of members of the press hated the idea of a universal health plan. And uh, despite the fact, and, and this is very interesting because um, President Truman emphasized the fact that under the uh, health insurance plan that he was proposing, doctors will be able to choose their method of payment. Okay, but the American Medical Asso Association say that uh, you know having a universal health plan will make doctors slaves to the system, and so they were not. Um, that hasn't happened, has it? <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> no. Well, you know. <laughs> That, that, that is up for discourse. Right. Uh, so, so when Republicans took control of Congress in 1946, um, they were not interested in the idea of a universal uh, government health insurance program, claiming, as is the norm, that it's, it was part of a larger socialist scheme. Uh, it, it is also interesting to note, because there seem to be some parallels between then and now, but of course the difference is that with n now there was a successful implementation of the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act. Right. President Pr Truman... Well, I don't know if you call it successful yet, but you're right, that's what we're trying to get to, but yes, well, I, I know well, what you meant. Okay, oh, well, I, I said successfully in the fact that it was actually it was enacted into Exactly, law. right, yeah. I so agree. With President Truman, he never was. So mm -hmm. that, that, that's the part I meant where we got to success. Right. We, we can determine whether the bill is successful or not. So we've <laughs> evaluated it. Okay, I just have to clarify that. Right, absolutely. <laughs>
Okay, so um, President Truman ran for re-election by focusing on the National Health Bill, and if you recall, he won re-election in 1948. Mm-hmm. Um, the American Medical Association thought his re-election was Armageddon. You know, they went into an aggressive and lobbying effort to defeat the idea of a national health insurance plan. They actually charged their members $25 extra in fees such that they could, you know, garner money for this lobbying effort. And then in 1945, they spent... uh, around 1.5 million on lobbying efforts against the National Health uh, Plan. And one of the things uh, that was interesting was that one of their pamphlets read as follows, and I quote, would socialized medicine lead to socialization of other phases of life? Lenin thought so. Mm. He declared socialized (laughs) medicine is the keystone to the arc of the socialist state. Did you say Lenin? Yeah, Lenin. I mean, they, they were trying oh, to tie I'm thinking, it. I was thinking of John Lennon. But you, Lenin. Yeah, you weren't talking about the Beatle. You were talking about no, 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 no. the, the um, Soviet the, yeah, Lenin, leader. Yeah. Right, gotcha. Okay. And so this ability to link the idea of universal government-sponsored health plan to socialism was very, very, uh, very, very effective. So, and, so basically, in a lot of this is that people who are anti, for good reason, um, anti-total takeover of every program, the socialist kind of fear, if you will, and also the, you know, the Nazis of Germany's long ago, that there's somehow this connection that people make, even if it's um, kind of uh, a fantasy, really. It's an imagined connection, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, and it's almost like this has been this huge kind of block that has caused us not be able to be able to bridge the gap. And somehow President Obama, good, bad or indifferent, how what you might or might not think of him, mm-hmm. but he somehow was able to bridge that gap. It certainly helped that he had the House, I guess, and the Senate, I suppose. Right. Yes. You know, he had a majority. But I mean, hey, we've had 40, what, three or four other presidents also that have had that opportunity as well. I just wanted to insert that because for people listening, because the, the sentiment is, you know, it, that people don't like on the surface the Affordable Health Care Act. Although there's also another study that says once they learn about what is in it, they mm-hmm. change their mind. Mind, yeah, exactly. Exactly. When you look at the different uh, surveys, when you ask specific questions pertaining to specific components of the art, mm-hmm. they like it. Like when they talk about pre-existing condition, whether you support uh, pro- the provision of coverage to individuals with pre-existing conditions, they like that. Right. Okay. So it's all in the wording and it's all in the politics. And so, but that idea was defeated during that period by linking it to the idea of socialism. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, you know, we went, uh, we did not go anywhere with the idea of universal health insurance. And of course, during uh, President Clinton's era, he broached it, but that did not go anywhere mm-hmm. till um, President Obama came into office. Um, now, now the, the Medicare and Medicaid, I guess it was in 1964, um, w- what, was that somewhat of like, you know, a bargain or a compromise or how do you read that when it comes to our healthcare history? Well, I mean, when you're talking about Medicare and Medicaid, first of all, let me go ahead and explain for you. Listeners, what Medicaid is. Okay. okay. Medicaid was enacted into law July 30th, 1965. It was a part of um, Title. Um, it was part of Title 14 of the program of the Social Security Act. Mm-hmm. Okay. Title. Yeah. Okay. Of the Social Title 19 uh, program of the Social Security Act, and. Um, Medicare, on the other hand, Medicaid is for indigent people, for poor people, people that cannot usually afford uh, health care insurance. Is that clear? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And then Medicare was instituted as part of Social Security Amendment of 1965. And uh, the amendment actually established two separate but coordinated health programs for 
individuals 65, age 65 or older. And of course, you know, the first part is uh, Medicare Part A, and of course, you know, the second part is Medicare Part B. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, but anyway, so those were instituted in the 1960s as part of the Great Society programs. Um, one of the things that um, it's very important to note about Medicare and Medicare is that there were also initial opposition to Medicare and Medicare, Medicaid. I'm not like surprised. Were, yeah, just <laughs> like, you know, there were initial oppositions to, you know, the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act. So there were initial oppositions to Medicaid and Medicare. And, and who, what uh, politician drove that? I mean, obviously, Lyndon B. Johnson, I suppose, was involved in all of this. But was who, who really drove this? Was this um, President Kennedy's kind of initial um, idea? Or, I mean, it's always been an idea, but how did the evolution of, of Medicaid and Medicare come about? That would be interesting to know about. Oh, well, one of the things, uh, one of the things that they did, um, uh, President um, President Kennedy did that or part of the effort to get Medicare passed was that they focused on the fact that Medicare will be operated as a fee-for-service plan for physicians and related services. And so that sort of blunted the initial opposition, especially from physicians and hospitals for uh, Medicare. Okay, because when you have a program whereby the government will pay you initially, the government will pay them a, a fee for the services that they render. So if you're a physician, you treat the Medicare patient, and you go ahead and decide how much the cost of services were, you bill the government for that, and you were paid the fee uh, for the yeah, services. Yeah, I like that fee. idea. If I'm, a, yeah. if I'm a doctor, that's, you that's like what I like. That yeah. idea. Yes. And you also like the idea of the increased numbers of patients that you'll be getting through Medicare. That's and, right. You, know, you don't have to do any marketing. It just, <laughs> it just automatically happens. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so it was, I mean, that was very, um, the, the idea was very, very nice, especially the, reimburs, uh, the reimbursement rate was very, very nice to the doctors. And so that was able to pass muster or opposition. And of course, you know, Medicare and Medicaid were enacted, um, were enacted uh, together. Medicaid, um, initially, of course, Medicaid has seen many reforms over the years, but initially Medicaid also, um, you know, paid very good reimbursement to doctors. And so you had a large pool of indigent individuals that normally would not have been able to pay for medical, medical care or services now being able to go to the doctors and, you know, paying the doctors for medical services. The problems with Medicaid that are later when is that they're having diagnosis-related groups and is that they're trying to curtail the reimbursement rates for Medicaid. Mm. Now, with this new home affordable, or not home affordable, excuse me, <laughs> health care affordability act, um, and we're going to discuss this on the other side of this break because we're coming up on another break. But this is something to plant in your head because mm-hmm. this will go well with our last segment um, mm-hmm. when we're talking more about current day events and, and getting getting your opinion on that. And I know you have a lot more to share with us. and Maybe yeah. we can have you back. But um, I want to talk also about what's happening with this implementation of um, the uh, Affordable Care Act because mm-hmm. – you know, there's going to be some expansion with Medicare, correct? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Some people think that that's a smoke screen and that it's not going to be expanded. But in fact, the numbers are where the numbers are. There is not a death panel. Those are all myths. So we'll talk a little bit about kind of what's happening with, with Medicare right after these messages. We want to thank everyone for coming in. Uh, we have Dr. Magruder from Austin P University. We'll be right back after these messages. Hey everyone, this is Kevin Ray with the Housing Hour, and we want you guys to call Josh White at Home Harvest. Josh can build a vegetable garden in your backyard any size that you want, and that's what he does. He can help design a plan for you and your garden. Call Josh today at Home Harvest, and that's at 865-712-2745. Home Harvest, 865-712-2745. Hi, 
I'm Sue Benson, owner of Title Associates. In today's real estate market, it is more important than ever to have a title company with experience, a company you can trust, and one that conducts business with you in mind. If you're buying, selling, or refinancing, our staff promises to make your closing a pleasant one. If you're a real estate agent looking for excellent customer service, give us a call, 777-1040, or visit our website at tanox.com. Fall is a wonderful time in Tennessee. Temperatures begin to cool, leaves begin to turn, UT football. And truthfully, what's more fun than raking leaves with your family and letting your kids run through the piles? Mortgage Investors Group wants to help you make these precious memories come true for you. Whether it's a purchase or a refinance, we have the loan to fit your needs. So call us today, 1-800-489-8910, or visit us online at mortgageinvestorsgroup.com. Mortgage Investors Group. Your home loan solution for the past 23 years. Are you in the market to purchase a new home? Many first-time home buyers and veterans qualify for 2 or 4% down payment grants from the Tennessee Housing Development Agency. THDA offers 30-year fixed-rate mortgages insured by FHA, VA, USDA, or conventional loans. For more information, please visit our website at www.thda.org. Market realities in the housing market are making this a great time to buy. Home prices are right. Rates are rock bottom low. It's time to act. But you need a company primed to help you take advantage of the great opportunity. That company, Mortgage Investors Group. Refinancing. First, let's talk about that. What if you could take your 30-year mortgage and turn it into a 15? You could save hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mortgage Investors Group can get it done with payments close to your 30. That way, your house can be paid off before the kids finish high school. If you're a first-time homebuyer, you're going to love Mortgage Investors Group. They have programs where you don't have to make a huge down payment, plus their information is accurate and reliable, and they get their deals done in 30 days or less. Best in the state for 10 years running. Go to their great new website, MIGonline.com, and find one of the 18 locations closest to you. The opportunities are real. The American dream is within reach. Let's get started. Mortgage Investors Group, your home loan solution for the past 23 years. Equal housing lender, mortgage license 109111. Another nice day on the way. For today, look for mostly sunny skies across East Tennessee, highs around 79. From the VLT Local 8 Weather Center, I'm Chief Meteorologist David Aldrich. Obamacare, beyond politics. Every Thursday morning in October, we'll focus on the new health care law. Then tune in November 7th for a day devoted to answering your questions. Sponsored by Neiman Insurance Group. Obamacare, beyond politics. On News Talk 98.7 WOKI. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what is really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Welcome back into the Housing Hour. My name is Kevin Ray, again, your host. I'm here with Mark Griffith, our executive producer and co-host. Uh, thank you guys for joining us. We are um, tackling a very big subject this on this week's show, and this is our series. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, this is our series that we've dubbed in our uh, catalog here that we have um, Healthcare USA. That is the name of this series. Um, we have a, a, a fantastic guest in Dr. Magruder, um, and she has a book that's coming out on December 30th, I believe, A Different Perspective on the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act. So it's a different different perspective, really, I guess, and, and that, you know, I haven't read it because it hasn't come out yet. But um, she might be able to get us an advanced copy, maybe. That would be nice. <laughs> and maybe she'd sign it for us. Yes, absolutely. But, but you know, a, a different perspective, I think, Dr. Magruder, that is really what we are actually doing because we want to hear from, you know, different people who have um, a field that they've tackled, you know, because there are different perspectives. That's a fantastic name for this book. Um, so what we had just ended the last segment on, just so everybody knows, and if you're just tuning in, please wait for about an hour. You can download this and share it with your friends and family right on thehousinghour.com. Um, I think this is a, a, an incredible uh, subject, and I think especially with the timing of the show, um, but we were talking about Medicare and Medicaid. You were talking about the evolution of how that came about in 1965. Um, we talked about President uh, President Kennedy um, and, and how this all kind of came to be. 
um, under the Johnson administration um, after the assassination in 63. Um, but what um, I had asked and maybe had maybe wanted you to think about for a moment was not really think about because you understand it. But there's an expansion, I think, under this this act. Is there not? Okay, yes, there is a, well, I mean, the states have the, you're talking about the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act. The states have, uh, they can choose, they have the option of deciding to expand their Medicaid rules, okay? When we're talking about Medicaid, like I mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. Medicaid is health insurance for indigent people. Indigent people, poor people, indigent is another way of saying poor people, okay? So... Inherent in the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act is the idea that states can choose to expand their Medicaid roles, or if they do not want to expand their Medicaid roles, or and choose not to operate their exchanges, individuals within that state can go ahead and go to health exchanges and purchase their health care insurance. Mm-hmm. One of the things that must be noted about this um, Affordable Care Act is that one can look at it as a sort of reform, a universal reform of Medicaid. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay? Mm-hmm. So reform whereby the government is trying to expand access to health insurance. Okay. Prior yeah. to the enactment of the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, uh, the estimate is about 50 million Americans uh, were uninsured prior to ACA. And, and just to give you real quick a plug for your book that you wrote called Tin Care in Disproportionate Share yes, Hospitals, mm-hmm. that can be found on Amazon.com. Marcus mm-hmm. already put the link up um, mm-hmm. on our website just because people say, well, wait a minute, you've got Medicare, you got Medicaid, mm-hmm. you have Tin Care, but they very, they very much work together, correct? It's, yes. What I usually tell my students, I tell my students that when you think of tank care, think of tank care as a reform of Medicaid. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the state of Tennessee chose to reform its Medicaid program, and so they called it tank care. And inherent in the idea of reforming its Medicaid program was the ability to control costs and expand insurance to previously uninsured individuals. Right. And they have some, obviously, the poverty guideline mm-hmm. and the size of the family unit. Mm-hmm. Those, oh, I guess, under care may, in fact, be different than it would be for Medicaid. Correct? Or is it the same as far uh, as it, the it, eligibility? It, 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 it is the same. Okay. But the expansion, I guess, is in um, who would qualify for it from... From what perspective? I guess I'm trying Actually, to Actually, tank care is different from Medicaid in that they focused on the utilization of managed care organizations, or as okay. most people know it, HMOs. Mm-hmm. And HMOs are the uh, HMOs try to cut costs by focusing on preventive services. Ah. And so the idea behind Thank you, reform was that if you go ahead and get more individuals enrolled in Tenke and you establish healthcare organizations, what is going to happen is that there is going to be a higher focus on preventive care, which down the line studies have shown will lead to lower medical expenses. I, see. I mean, if you have somebody that has high blood pressure and they take their medications and they go see their doctor, that is going to prevent. Uh, complications down the line and complications as research has shown is what is very very expensive and that's what can drive up costs exponentially so your book that you wrote really does look into um, really the, the benefits the rationale the pro i mean you know the problems of tin care certainly mm-hmm. you, you wrote this back in 2007 so i'm sh- mm-hmm. sure some things have changed but yeah, yeah. it to <laughs> give you at least a broad perspective on what tin care was all about because i mean in our listening audience we have up to potentially a million listeners at any given time so there's a lot of people in all of these different realms and, mm-hmm. and share share your story you told me because one of the preventative care pieces of the affordable care act and tin care if we were to expand the medicaid piece of that mm-hmm. which right now the governor is not going to do but tell us your story that you told uh told me which is absolutely fascinating 
Okay, so one of the things that is important to know is when you talk about um, health insurance, individuals that do not have health insurance generally do not go for preventive care, generally do not go see their doctors, and, you know, they do not take their medication. So there was the case of this lady. She had high blood pressure. Um, she did not manage it. She could not afford, she did not have insurance, so she could not go to her doctor for checkup. She could not uh, buy the medication for her high blood pressure. She had three young kids, and she subsequently had a stroke. And, of course, they rushed her to the hospital. And the doctors worked on her for almost 24 hours, but they were not able to revive her. She eventually died. And the cost, of the um, emergency care that they provided to her during that period the doctors were trying to revive her was almost a million dollars that million dollars would have been more than enough to have Mm. covered her doctor's visit it would have been more than enough to have covered her prescription medication for her blood pressure but of course because she did not have health insurance um, she had to uh, utilize emergency uh, services and of course after all that money she ended up expiring leaving her kids without uh, a mom well and there's i mean that's incredible and it gives me chill bumps because that is the essence of what why we need to reform healthcare and why we did actually because those two children, I mean, yeah, the money and her preventative care, but I also think about these two children and that will go without having a mother because we were not able to institute any type of universal health care or some type of care that, that she could understand. And maybe it was because it wasn't communicated to her about Medicaid and how, what was available. But the fact is she didn't take advantage of it. And there has, there's a reason for that. And it was because it was either too complicated. It cost her too much. It wasn't a convenient for her in her life, but so, Ooh, you got me going on that. Yeah. It, it it was not convenient. She could not afford it. She couldn't afford it. Yeah, well, there so, you go. So we have this Affordable Care Act. Put it in perspective for us as to where we are with this. And it's not a perfect plan, but give us a perspective on why it, it should be worked on right now. Okay, one of the things, so one of the things that we have to know about the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act is that it was tailored to. Um, expand coverage to the uninsured and the uninsurables. The uninsurables are those individuals with pre-existing conditions like, you know, if an individual has had a prior heart attack or has diabetes or high blood pressure or what have you, that individual will not be able to go out in the individual marketplace and buy health insurance. Now, we have to be cognizant of the fact that if the individual is employed, let's say they're working for the state or for a big organization, and that organization has insurance plans, they will be able to buy into it. But if the company or the person is working for an organization that doesn't provide health insurance, that individual cannot buy health insurance on their own because they have pre-existing conditions. So. The Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act was instituted to end discrimination uh, or end, uh, you can call it discrimination or you can call it ending pre-existing condition demarcation because prior to the enactment of Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, individuals with pre-existing conditions could not get health insurance. Oh, that's huge, yeah. Okay, and then also the law is supposed to end limits to care. What most people do not know is that health insurance companies have a maximum lifetime limit to care. So the maximum lifetime limit of care provided for you on your health insurance could be anywhere from 40000 to $4 million, and the very good health insurance, they don't have lifetime limits. Sign okay? me up. Sign me up for that because, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you have a huge illness, let's say you have cancer and yeah. you have to have 
to go through the oncology program that they have set up, you're going to get to your end of, of healthcare costs until story. her story had a million dollars within yeah. just a couple of days. Yeah. So, so th- that is one thing I guarantee you, if you ask 10 people, seven, of, seven of 10, that's huge. That's, yeah. and so why, why is it that people, why is it that insurance companies don't like uh, this healthcare plan? Well, I, well, tell me why, because they have unlimited amount of money that they may have to spend. Well, I mean, it, it, one of the things that we have to understand is that some healthcare plans do not have lifetime limits. Okay, okay. they will okay. cover Fair you. Enough. You have cancer. You know, the Cadillac again and again, they will cover you. But what some people do not know is that. Some have lifetime limits. So if your lifetime limit is one million yeah. and you've gone for two cancer treatments and you've mastered that one million, well, if you get sick again, they'll tell you, I'm sorry, you've mastered your limit. We're not going to cover you anymore. So you either have to pay for it or you don't go in for treatment. Yeah. So, and so they have to choose between life. Well, there's no choice because they can't afford it. It's, I mean, going to your cancer treatment is not an emergency room yes. visit. Yes, it's not an emergency room visit, so there's nothing that can be done. So you just stay at home till you die. That is a sad state of affairs, and I'm so thankful to. And, and you know what? I mean, I'm not hearing you taking sides, Democrat, Republican, nor are Mark or I, and definitely WOKI doesn't endorse either party. But what we are trying to do is to get different perspectives because. I really believe strongly that it needed changing, and and you were so eloquent in what you've spoken about. And Mark and I were just sitting here looking at each other, and he he wrote on a piece of paper, "We have to have her back." Um, so I, this is right now an open invitation back for you because we only have about a minute left in in the show. Unfortunately, is there any closing remarks in the last thirty seconds that you that you might want to give us? Well, I mean, one of the things that I want to say is that you know this is a new law. Um, before we can tell whether it's working or whether it needs to be tweaked or what have you, we have to, you know, see it fully implemented and then look at what it has done and what it has achieved. But the premise of the law, prima facie, on the face of it, is absolutely a good idea. I mean, there's nothing wrong with expanding coverage to the uninsured and the underinsured. There is nothing wrong with ending pre-existing condition discrimination. There is nothing wrong with ending coverage cancellation. There is nothing wrong with making sure that young people can stay on their parents' plan till they're 26 years old. The, the, as people say, the devil is in the details. So we have to Absolutely. see when it's fully implemented, you know, Absolutely. the problems and the issues that are going to pop up. Because when you have a big reform we're, plan, there will be. Issues. Yeah, we're coming right into the end of this show. Dr. Magruder, thank you. See you guys next week on The Housing Hour. That's The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray for today. Join Kevin and his guests each week at this time to keep up with the why and the why not. You need to know, so come here to find out. This program is presented by Mortgage Investors Group.